We start a new journey today. If you're here for the first time, we've been in a in a collection. We kind of hover in collections um, and uh, kind of stay there for a while, and we begin a new one. So if it is your first time, it is, uh, it's a good time to be here, and uh, so you can jump right in. We're going to begin in the book of Genesis, and uh, we're going to kind of uh, live there for a while. We're going to live in the, in the land of Genesis. It's a book of beginnings. It's a, a beginning of uh, time as we know it. It's a beginning of space as we know it. It's a beginning of matter, things that we can see and touch and feel as we know it. It's a beginning of life as we know it. In the book of Genesis, it's the beginning of death as we know it. It is the beginning of salvation when God walked into that garden that day and painted an amazing picture of the God that we have who is willing to come to earth and walk in the gardens of our ruin. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of a nation, as we see in Genesis 12 with Abraham. It's the beginning of a lot of stories. That's why it's called Genesis. There's a lot of Genesis going on in these 50 chapters. We're only gonna, we're not gonna get past the first chapter. We're gonna stay right there. I believe that human beings are challenged with beginnings for reasons that we'll kind of break down today. We're, we're challenged in, in this culture to understand how everything began. And when you look at the beginning of the Bible, it is probably the most appropriate phrase, sentence, charge that God could have written. You know it well. It begins in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning. That is the primitive beginning, by the way. That means before anything existed at all, in the very, very, very beginning, not the beginning of time as we know it, or space as we know it, our matter, the things that you touch as we know it. Before then, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, as we look at this book, we are forced to go deeper and look at some of the original language. I'll tell you why. When you are writing in a language originally, there are things that you say and the way you say them and the order that you say them and how you put them uh, is very important. For example, if I say to you, I have it, that means, oh, you got an idea. I have it. Like I've just thought of something. Or if my wife has been looking for the house key for five hours and I say, I have it. Yeah, I'm in trouble, right? Because she's been looking, right? Or if I say, I've had it, that means, okay, I'm at the top. It depends on how you say it, in which way you say it, in the order in which you say it. For example, in the beginning, God created. That word in the ancient original Hebrew is bara, B-A-R-A, bara. That means ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. You see, whatever you have made in this lifetime, you have never borrowed anything. 
We have asad many things. That means made things because the word asa, A-S-A-H, means I'm making things out of something that exists. You see, God is making a statement right from the beginning. I make things out of nothing, not a particle, not an energy force, not a big bang, nothing. I make it out of nothing. For us as human beings, very challenging to understand. Would you agree? You see, God in the beginning is Elohim. That's the name. That means that he is, when you read that word, some theologians theologians would say it's the holy other because he's in a different dimension. When God says in the beginning, that means that God predated the beginning as we know it. It's going to get heavy here for a minute. We have uh, extra snacks and drinks in case you start getting lightheaded. He predated the beginning. That means that he's transcendent, that he's above time, he's beyond time. The only reason that we have beginnings and ends are for us so that we have time to track. We have a way to track things, seasons and whatnot uh, when we meet each other. For God, time doesn't exist. That means when you're in heaven and we see each other, you know, if you haven't seen each other for like three months, you go, oh, wow, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you for a while, right? If you're in heaven, it's been 10 billion years, you won't know it. It'll be like, hey, great, Mike, good to see you. It's been, we wouldn't say 10 billion years. Like everything is now. For God, everything is now. 1800, now. 18 million years ago, now. 18 million from now. It's now. God is transcendent above time. Then we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens. He created space. We now know that there are galaxies well beyond our viewability. And in these galaxies, there are planets and stars and and even in our own little teeny galaxy you've seen guys some of you like louis giglio who will take you know all the stars and you know here you are in your little universe and then here's other galaxies and blah 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 and all that and by the time he's done you feel like you're the eyelash on a gnat because we're so small in the the whole thing I, i don't even know how many planets we have anymore didn't pluto go away didn't they say you're not a planet anymore Poor Pluto. And, and then they come up with some, I don't even know. Are there 12 planets? I'm kidding. What is it? Eight? Are we at eight? You don't know either. What am I asking you for? God is transcendent of space and of time. Then God says, I created the earth. That means I'm transcendent. I'm above. I predated matter. Everything that exists, I came before it. So this is why it's so difficult for us to understand the beginning, the primitive beginning, because we are in a dimension. So when we read these words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, I promise you that it is tough for us to look at that and say, oh, I get it, because because we are tethered to time and space and matter. If you're going to meet someone this week, don't you have anyone like, let's just show up. What do you mean just show up? I need a time. Where are we going to meet? We'll just meet up. No, we don't say that. I need a specific time, a specific place, and tell me what booth you're sitting in so I know where to locate you. That's how we operate. 
There are things that are beyond our viewability that make it challenging for us to understand God. So, every other Saturday now, I'm uh, doing Boys Day Out, spending some time with my boys. I'm kind of tracking you guys along. So, yesterday was a first. We went fishing for the first time together. Now, I'm a moron, but I'm not a moron enough to know that I shouldn't go alone. So I called my friend John Carrico, our family pastor, and said, Hey, man, would you be willing to go fishing with us? So I brought pictures. So here we are out in the Gulf, and that's his first catch. Isn't that cool? We actually went to Publix. I bought that and put it on the end. I'm just kidding you. Good grief. And here's my oldest son with John, and that's his first catch. Isn't that cool? All right. I'll see you guys next week. You feel so warm and fuzzy right now. That's all you need. I'm standing out there in the water and, you know, knee deep. And so you're looking at this vast body of water. And you're watching your little bobber floater thing go up and down. And the reason is because we can't see below the surface. I mean, if we could see below the surface, I would just shoot the fish because it would make no sense to stand there with a stupid stick for hours and not catch anything. But we can't. There's a reason I'm sure God had in mind there. But you look out at the ocean and you think it's another world below the surface. Yesterday, you understand, I, um, most of you, that I am in a wall climbing group. And on the off weeks, I don't go. Some guys go as an option. And and the guy that leads that, Tom Oshlin, was climbing, and, and, and along the wall, there are these holes in the wall that he doesn't allow us to use. They've been made by woodpeckers, but it, you, it's cheating. But at the end of the day, when everybody's tired, and he goes to you know tie up everything, the ropes and whatnot. He goes up and finishes it off and leaves it and whatnot. But yesterday, he went up, and I'll show you a picture of the wall. He went up, and those things, you know, there are handholds, Right. But if you look closely in the middle there, that's not a handhold. Um, that's a raccoon sticking his head out one of those holes. Now, we got a close-up shot. If you don't believe it, it's a real raccoon. And Tom, now somebody said to me after the first service, was that like a puppet? I'm like, no, dude, it's a real raccoon. And Tom went up, put his hand up climbing, and unfortunately got attacked by the raccoon, was in the emergency room until midnight last night getting excruciating rabies treatment. I know it. I'll see you guys next week. That's always a good ending. You see, the interior of this wall is empty. You can't see beyond the wall. You can't see below the surface of the ocean. We cannot see beyond the heavens and the earth. The challenge that we have as people is that we try to understand God from this dimension of time and space and matter in His dimension where that doesn't exist. So we say to ourselves, well, I've got it. I understand then that life came from a particle, the Higgs particle. We'll call it the God particle. That life came from from a Big Bang, that life somehow came from an explosion or an energy or a force only because as human beings we cry out and we say, I I really want to know what's happening. And the only logic minus God, the only logic I'm left with 
is my own logic which is tethered to time and space and matter. So therefore we try to start describing God through those, that terminology and through that understanding. My friends, my good friends who are, are atheists, when we have discussions about God and, and they try to describe God through evolution, which has, has gaping holes, by the way. And I tell them, as I've shared with you before, I mean, man, you think that some things are crazy in the Bible? That's crazy to think somehow the par- particle or the explosion came about ex nihilo. Where did the particle come from? And people will say, well, then where did God come from? I'm like, you know, dude, you're going to have to ask him when you see him. Because God, the question is only asked because we're tethered to time and space and matter. When I begin to discuss and really dig deep with my good friends who are evolutionists, what I find is this. It's really not a matter of time or space or matter. It is not really a matter of science that we're dealing with. What is, what is at the core is that if you believe that there is a supreme being, a creator, then you've got to deal with him. It's not about a particle. I would tell you it's about a fingerprint. It is about the very fact that we have a personal God, not just a divine being. You see, in the Colossians chapter 1, we are told that through Christ, through the person of Christ, all things were created for Him, by Him, through Him. It is a personal God that we have. And if you believe that a personal being created this world, then you either have to ignore Him or you have to look at all of creation because those who create will have their fingerprints over everything. This collection, we are looking from a dimension that we know into a dimension that we don't know and trying to see the fingerprint of God in life. Because God has left plenty of evidence for us in this world that we can look at and say, Oh, not only is there a God, this God is amazing. This God is absolutely brilliant. This God is present. This God has left fingerprints for us to follow Him and to find Him. So when we read... These stories of uh, the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I would say to you that it's a brilliant beginning. Now, what we're going to do is literally go through every verse of Genesis 1 over the coming weeks. You would say, okay, maybe there are are going to be seven uh, weeks because we're going to take one for every uh, day. We're going to take a week for every day. Exactly what we're going to do except today And we're going to look at the overture. You see, the overture is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so now we've established that God is transcendent. He's above. He's beyond. He's beyond all the things that we know. But then we move into the next verse and we begin to see the first fingerprint. Now, if you've ever been a detective, like I know many of you have, when you look at a fingerprint, there are different points. 
And a detective will say, oh, there's a point, there's a point, there's a point. And when you see those different points, they all add up to a peculiar uniqueness that each of us have. We're going to look at the first point. We now go to the second verse in Genesis. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, when you look at those first two words, by the way, they're kind of fun. And in fact, certain languages, they, they play into almost a rhyming sense. And so that those words formless and empty or without void in the, in the Hebrew are tohu and bohu. That means in the Old English, it's welter and waste. It literally means chaotic mess of a lifeless nothingness that is just, that, that is a wasteland. That's what it means. Some people say, did you say tofu? No, I said tohu. Tohu and bohu. And God looks at this earth and there's this, there's this mess. There's this wasteland. Now, I'm not going to get too heavily into it right now because I don't think it's the time and place. But I will say enough today to, to, to give you a little clue. I heard Tony Evans, uh, one of my favorite preachers, preach a few weeks ago. And, man, he dug deep, and, it's, and he's right on. This is one of the most pivotal verses in my mind of the Scripture. It explains a lot of the questions that science throws at us as believers in God. What I will say to you and what I feel comfortable in saying to you uh, here on a Sunday morning is this. When we read those words, and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty, the word was, if you'll look in your Bible, there may be a footnote, will also can also be translated as became. For example, if I said once upon a time... There was an old castle. Well, all of a sudden, now nothing, the castle just didn't become old. It became old over a certain period of time. I promise you I won't bore you with the original language all, all, all morning, but it makes a difference because that word means that it's altered, that it is not the intended original design that God had. If you look in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 18, here's, here's the gist of it. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. We're back at Genesis 1-1. Watch, Genesis 1-2 in Isaiah 45-18. He did not bara, ex nilo, out of nothing. He did not create it to be empty. And yet we see it's empty in verse 2 in Genesis 1. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. I believe that something powerful happened. I won't get into it. It's not the point today. But I will say to you, regardless, that when you look at it, when God created and He looked down and the earth was void, it became void, it was a wasteland, it was tohu and bohu, we understand that it wasn't God's end goal for the planet to stay like that. I would even say to you, it wasn't his intention for it to be like that. Lifeless. No one except Kevin Costner in Waterworld could have lived there. And he even had a tough time with it. 
It was impossible for human life to exist in this current state of tohu and bohu, of welter and waste, of emptiness, of void, of formlessness. God looked at it and said, that is not exactly what I intended it for it to be. So now we come to the first fingerprint. Are you ready? Watch this. God looks at this mess. He looks at this planet that is covered now with water where no one can live, where any of us would look at it and say, ah, I don't see a lot of potential in that right now. I don't see a lot of promise, we would say, in that existing state. Now, if you were God for five minutes and you had created billions of stars and planets, billions of them, and now you look at the earth and now it's empty and void, it's tohu and bohu, if you were God, would you not just go, you know what, I got plenty of other places. Clink! That's Hebrew for clink! With so many other choices, would you not say, well, that project is over. Not God. He looks at the mess. And from the very beginning, we begin to see an imprint of who this God really is. He looks at the mess, which has no promise of miracle. Yet God sees something else, and here's what He does. The earth was formless, and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered. Hovered. The word is like brooded over it like, like hen. A hen would take the chicks under its wings. And he, he hovered and formed it um, over the waters. And so when you look at it, you think, oh my goodness, God is willing to hover over the mess because He sees miracles. You see, God not only just looked at it for what it was, He looked at it for what it could become. When God looked down in the Garden of Eden that day, honestly, if you were God, wouldn't you just said, hey, there's only one to two people. I'll just stomp them out. And start over. I'll just go to another location. Not the God of messes. The God of the entire universe is willing to step into our time, our space, and our matter. And hover, brood, protect, shadow. Adam that day is hiding in the garden. And God says, I see your mess, son. I see it. There is a stench in the pristine garden that I borrow, that I created out of nothing. There is a stench like I've never seen before. What do you do? I often run, I often turn. I often send a card. I often email. I often nod. I wave from the other side of the room. Adam. Wow. 
Sarah, Abraham, they come to God. They laugh at the God who made everything from nothing and saying, you can't create a baby and an older woman. And we're laughing at you. God said, you know what? I could wipe you out. I could walk away. I could do a lot of things, but I'm going to hover over you. The nation of Israel. Oh, my goodness. How many times did they on, they're off, they're on, they're off, they're on, they're off. I mean, it's like a middle school dating scenario. No offense, but you know it's true. And yet God hovered. Think about Moses at times where he say, God, I can't take it any longer. God said, I know, son, because you're tethered to time and space and matter. I'm seeing things different. I'm seeing tohu and bohu, but I'm seeing beyond that wasteland to something beautiful. In fact, my son is going to be born through this nation. You can't see that right now in the wilderness. I'm seeing something far greater. So at the end of Moses' life in in Deuteronomy chapter 32, he addresses the people and look how keenly connected it is to Genesis chapter 1. Listen, Deuteronomy 32, verse 1. Listen, O heavens, all the space that we know, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the matter that we know, the words of my mouth. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright in justice He. Verse 5. They, His people, His children, His creation have acted corruptly toward Him. Watch this. To their shame... They are no longer his children. What does that mean? He excommunicated them? No. You know what it means? They no longer look like him. They never ceased to be connected to God, but they were no longer looking like the fingerprint of God. It's what God calls us to, to look like him. And he's saying, I created you, and you're not even looking like who I am. But a warped, And crooked generation like the world around you, you look no different. Is this, verse 6, the way you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is He not your Father, your Creator, who made you and formed you? For the Lord's portion is His people, is His treasure, Jacob, His allotted inheritance. Now watch, verse 10. In a desert land... He found him, his people he's talking about. Watch, in a barren and howling waste. God looks at his people down in this wilderness and just sees a bunch of tohu and bohu. He he shielded them, even though he saw them this way. He shielded them, cared for them. Watch it now. He guarded them as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up his nest. He hovers. He hovers. He looked down at this people for decade after decade after decade that sent a stench up to God that didn't even look like it had a form anymore of godliness. 
and he hovers. He's like that hen. He's like that eagle. And he says, I'm going to hover right down and nestle into you. Psalm 103, verse 10. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Thank God. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows, watch, how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. He's the one who makes us. And the reason that He's willing to hover is because He makes us. He understands that we're wired for time and matter and disobedience. And He understands the curse that we live with and the gravity of all. That's why He says, I cannot stop loving you. I cannot, no matter how messy you are. You think, oh, you have no idea of my mess. Very true statement because there's an ocean level between me and you and I can't see below your surface. But I promise you, I promise you that God in His profound oceanic depth of love hovers over your mess. Hovers over your mess. You see, when I came to Christ, I've told this story to some of you. I was a happy-go-lucky, very intensely party animal musician. And having the time of my life. And then God rang the doorbell, so to speak. And I didn't know anything about anything. I started reading the Old Testament. Things I had done were worthy of death. And I wept for days. This happy-go-lucky, party animal, life is fun was my motto because I believed that my personal planet of mess, it was too late for a God to have compassion on my stench, I promise you. I'm not saying it because it sounds great. I wept before I came to Christ Actually, years before I came to Christ. It took me three years. I'm a little slow. I wept because I thought, my planet has too much tohu and bohu and welter and waste and junk and emptiness and formlessness and sin and darkness that God would much less look in my direction. And I found out that He wouldn't only look in my direction... He would hover over this stinky life. I'm looking for Clay to write a new song like He Hovers or something. Because it should cause us, every single one of us, to fall in our face and say, Thank you, God, for this imprint, for letting us know that you hover, that you brood. Now watch this. Here's where the original language comes in. This word for hovering is written in a way that means in per- perpetually. I'll say it that way. Perpetuity. Perpetually. It means that he not only looks at it, he knows it in advance, but he cannot stop hovering. God's given up on me, you might say. Impossible. See, we learn here that it's an impossibility for God not to hover. 
God, stop hovering. I'm sorry, I can't. It's my DNA. It's my identity. It's my thumbprint. I cannot, I will not because I cannot stop hovering. From the very beginning, God said, it's embedded in this relationship. I'm not going away. I'm right here. Okay, put on your seatbelt. Break out the popcorn. Watch this. In language, oftentimes, if you watch a movie, let's say it's subtitles, and sometimes the language, when they're speaking it, there's a lot more words than what comes up on the screen, right? In some languages, it takes more words to really... So, you know, you're watching a movie. Hello. See you later. I mean, it, it doesn't quite make sense. Well, it's no different in Hebrew. In the beginning, for us, it's three words. In Hebrew, it's barashit. Barashit. Meaning... Um, that bara out of nothing, here it comes, right? Now, in the Hebrew, you know they're not using letters like we do. They use symbols. Like my wife grew up in Japan. They use symbols, and, and they're called pictographs. And these pictographs had meaning for the ancient Hebrews that when they saw something, they'll say, oh, that's like, a, like the yod is a, is a tent peg or a nail. And th- so when they saw these pictures, like, oh, I know exactly what that means. You don't even need any words. Watch this. When we pull up, in the beginning, it's written this way because we were reading from right to left. We read left to right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we're going to look over there in the beginning. It's one, uh, one word. It's called barashit. And so if we go to the next slide and you break that one word down, that's barashit spelled that way. Here are the pictures, which are, these are Bet, Resh, Aleph, Shin, Yod, that's the name of the alphabet. But beyond, past that, it's house, first person, God, consume, hand, uh, works, covenant. When you combine certain characters together, they make other words. That's like, that happens in Chinese, Japanese, etc. When you combine the first two letters of in the beginning, it means sun, God will be consumed by the works of hands, to create a covenant. Let's just do it in silence together. Ready? <laughs> oh, you look so weird. But embed it from the first word of Scripture. God said, I'm telling you, I am not going away. Fascinating, right? You say, I don't know about that. Oh, really? Let's go to the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. The lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. You know why? Because God is omni. That means omniscient. Oh, he knows everything. Omnipresent everywhere and omnipotent. All power before the world became void, before Adam stepped off the line, before Steve did something really stupid, God already saw it in his heart. Christ, before the foundation and the creation of the world, said, I'm embedded in you guys. I'm not going to clink you out of the universe. I'm embedded. I'm embedded. I'm embedded. If you have any ounce of, of, uh, of unconfidence, of unassurance that God is with you, forget it, because he hovers. So when you're we at work this week, and God and someone says, "Hey, I know you're a Christian. Um, tell me a little bit about God." Oh, he hovers. That's just going to freak him right out. 
And then you can freak them out and say, oh, you've got a lot of tohu and bohu. They're like, no, I'm not a vegetarian. I know. See, they're expecting you to say, Jesus loves you and give you like the, you know, the parroted answer. No, God is deeper. Our salvation is embedded. It doesn't go back to Abraham. It doesn't go back to Adam. It doesn't go back to David. It goes past them to beyond what we can even understand before God spoke a word. Christ was hovering in humanity. Oh my gosh, what a, what a God we have. What a God we have. What's your God like? Oh, I'll tell you what He's like. He hovers. He hovers. He's hovering in your doctor's office. He's hovering at your work. He's hovering in your stress. He's hovering in your fear. He's hovering in your habits. He's hovering in your addictions. He's hovering everywhere because He cannot do otherwise. So Christ comes along. And finally shows up from the creation of the world. John chapter 1 verse 11. Christ was in the world. And though the world was borrowed through him. Was created, made through him. The world did not recognize his fingerprint. You see the people around you are desperately looking for the identification of a real God. They want to see a fingerprint. They want to see something tangibly real. Verse 11, He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him, but the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Can I add a word? Anyway. It looked like a mess. And he came anyway. It looked awful, unpromising, hopeless to most of our eyes. He came anyway. He smells you and he comes anyway. He sees you. He sees me. He comes anyway. So let me give you a day two here at work. First day, oh, he hovers. We got to go to hovers. It gets better. Ask me tomorrow. I'll give, you, I'll give you the sequel. Oh, really? Yeah. He hovers anyway. You see, people like me who felt very unholy still, but very unholy, only thought that he hovered over holy people. There's a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, well, sure, God would love you. You go to church. We're like, dude. God loves me anyway, I go to church. You see, most people think that he's selectively hovering. May I remind you that he hovered over the entire world. No exceptions. He hovered anyway. Now, I would say, then what's our charge? Here it is. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God and there as dearly hovered, loved people, children. Live a life of hovering love. Just as Christ hovered over us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. First Peter 4, 8. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. If you've been around our church for any amount of time, this is the heartbeat of who we're trying to be and putting a lot of effort in being. We hover. We don't send a card. We don't just email somebody. We hover. Small circle equals hovering over the messes that we all create. It means hovering in marriages that are ready to break. It means hovering over those who are in financial trouble. It means hovering over those who had the best week of their life. It means hovering over those who had the best week of their life and somehow put that best week of their life over God. You see, because the world will not look into a church and say, man, I'll tell you what, I saw the identity of God. I mean, it really connected with me because of the block party you had. Because of the carnival that you threw. Because of that cool Christmas deal you guys did. No, they will look into the world and see the fingerprint of God when we are hovering like Him, period. They will see that difference and feel that difference because hovering cares, hovering loves, hovering gives a rip. You can't hover and not give a rip. And God is saying, oh, be like me so that the world can see my fingerprint. Yesterday, we, I spent an afternoon with the leaders of this family. The at group, small group catalyst, we call them. The leadership board, the staff, we had just a barbecue in somebody's home to hover together. I will say to you that I'm now in ministry over 30 years. I personally have never seen a team like this one. And I'm not into blowing smoke or just flattery and all that jazz. And I'll tell you the distinction that I see in this this team. They hover. If somebody said, what, what's the difference there with the team you're working with? You've worked with a lot of staff members, a lot of volunteers. They hover. Not only do they hover, they're teaching others to hover. They're being a catalyst to hover. You see, because we are called, not just me, to share in shepherding one another. And a shepherd hovers and guards and watches. Because it matters. It really matters. It matters to the world. Are we perfect? Nope. Are we, are we, do we say stupid things once in a while? Yep. To get over our skis, you, you can count on it. Hang around. We're a lot of tohu and bohu. In fact, if I had an office, I don't have an office, don't want an office, but instead of putting Pastor Steve over, I just say Pastor Tohu, and everybody know what I'm talking about. Either that or moron. I'd go for either one. So I want to end today with uh, just a film. So in case you don't know who our our shepherding coverers are here in uh, this family, who are who are inspiring you and instigating in you hovering. I just want you to uh, to catch a glimpse of uh, what's happening beyond the uh, beyond the wall of leadership. Let's take the, take a look.
I'm a business owner. I'm a bookkeeper. I'm a hospital chaplain. I'm an executive director. I'm an attorney. I'm a catalyst. I'm a catalyst. I'm a catalyst. I don't work alone. I don't work alone. I don't work alone. We are one. We are one. We are one. I'm not special. I am not special. I'm not special. But I was called to lead. I was called to lead. I'm a catalyst. I'm in the game. I'm in the game. I'm on the field. I'm on the field. I'm on the field. I am a catalyst. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm a catalyst. My goal is to challenge others. My goal is to eliminate mediocrity. To lead others to be a cut above the norm. My goal is to inspire. To inspire. To inspire. To instigate. To instigate. To be acutely aware of spiritual warfare. To be prepared. To grow leaders. To grow leaders. I'm a catalyst. And we're a team. We're a team. We're a team. Because it matters. 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 close with this thought and then we'll pray there is someone living a world and a life and it matters I would even propose to you that deep down beyond the surface of our exterior that we seem so confident Those people sometimes that seem overly confident, it's only the surface of the water. There's a lot below that. They are desperate. They are desperate for someone to hover. I promise you that. I've been in it too long. I've been in it too long. They are desperate. For someone to hover. They desperately need to know that God hovers, but they won't believe that fingerprint until they see it in you. Let's pray. Oh God. God, thank you for this insight from the dimension in which we live of time and space and matter. To see a glimpse of a God so beyond our thoughts and understanding, we have no idea. And yet this God who created everything from nothing, the first thing of identification that we see, God, the first character that we see of you, God, is that you're willing to hover Oh, God, first of all, how could we ever express words of thanksgiving enough, words of appreciation enough, that not only do you hover, but you hover in our mess, our mistakes, 
And not only do you hover in our mess and mistakes, you hover in our own mess and our mistakes anyway. And not only, God, do you hover in our mess and mistakes anyway, but, God, you hover in our mistakes and our mess anyway forever. God, thank you. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you that Christ was embedded into humanity, into the hovering of humanity from the very first word of Scripture to the very last. God, I have no reason to ask you to hover since you already do. What I do ask you, God, simply this morning is this, that we be imitators of our Creator. That we too, God, would hover so that people can touch and hear and see and feel the fingerprint of who you really are. God, I ask that because it matters. I ask that because there are plenty of planets around us, plenty of people who are living in a world that they believe is a waste. And it is not. The people, God, in this room, they matter because they have a message. (laughs) And they have a fingerprint to show to the world. We ask this for Christ's glory and to accomplish His work. Amen.